Russ, are you saying to me that? Hold on. Are you saying to me that throughout the week you come up with some pretty good ideas for some off-the-cuff jokes you could make, and then you write them in a Google Doc for yourself not, so you don't forget some of the good jokes you can make later off the cuff? They're not jokes, per se. They're just like... Exactly. That's You're making it worse. Yes. They're exactly. idea You're right. starters. You're right. They're idea okay. starters. Okay. Conversation starters. Yes. I've never seen one of these conversations. I know. I, I, I haven't discussed it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you delete them from the rundown before we look at no, it? No, I use I It's not in today's rundown, but I use them. Uh, when I use them, then I get rid of them. You just, got, you just guys haven't been paying attention to the rundown, clearly. But I don't call them out specifically in the rundown. <laughs> so you have good joke. You have a, a notebook called good joke <laughs> ideas. And as you use each joke, and it's not a joke. Again, it's a casual conversation beat that you would like to have. Sure. And you're like, that's good. Thank you, brain. And yeah. then you write it down. Yeah. So like a few weeks ago, I wrote in, I have too much juice. And, yeah, yeah. And if you'll recall, <laughs> we discussed oh, it. That was, that was fucking classic, dog. That, that was so good. <laughs> hey, Siri, take a note. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Take a note. Add to my jokes folder. Siri. Add too much juice. My name is Justin McElroy, and I know the best game of the week. My name is Griffin McElroy, and I know the best game of the week. My name is Chris Plant, and I know the best game of the week. My name is Russ Freshman. I have the best game of the year. Wow. wow. To change and it. it's not this to... game. <laughs> Yo, it's uh, welcome to the besties where we talk about the latest and greatest in home interactive entertainment. Mm. Uh, we take a look at the new games, sometimes the old games, but usually the new games, and give you our unvarnished thoughts to see if they are indeed the best game of the year. Uh, this week we are uh, talking about the latest from Sucker Punch, which is not Naughty Dog. A lot of people, it's very strange to have those two. I get those two conflated Why? in my head a lot. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they're both I PlayStation th- exclusive studios, so that's. I think not I was really thinking like fun. Sly Cooper, well, part yeah. of the family, the Crash Bandicoot. That's probably where they both made mascot games, and then they yeah. transitioned into like. Serious. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Them and Ins- Insomniac. They form this this triad of that's a, uh, yeah. That's a good one. Actually, PlayStation mascot makers. Yeah. No uh, more stuff for kids. I actually uh, really am a fan of Sucker Punch. I think they make uh, very fun games, and I was like a huge fan of the Infamous titles, specifically one and two, and then what was the Festival of Blood? Was that the the Vampire New Orleans one? That one was really really cool uh i uh yeah i reviewed those games i remember i think back at joystick and uh if you didn't play those i think most people are probably familiar with them because of sly uh just because they've made so many of those but infamous was like an open world superhero game that had a lot of the like spider-man the movie to the game dna in it uh that i was just wild about and it's interesting to see ghost of tsushima which is a decidedly different open world thing it has been six years since the last sucker punch game what was that second son the uh for, so, yeah. no second son was 2014 
um, First Light oh, uh, yes. was twenty was was I guess also twenty fourteen hmm. in in August of twenty fourteen. That was like a not a full game. I think First Light. It was like a kind of a quasi expansion pack. Yeah, yeah, quasi expansion to Second Son. Yeah, um, I wasn't wild I, about. But for whatever reason, I fell off on Second Son. But the other infamous games I thought were were pretty. I fun. mean, either way, it has been six years since the last time Sucker Punch released a game, which for a, a studio like that is um is a lot is a long time, quite a long time. It's it's quite a long time. Uh, and what they have ginned up for us is Ghost of Tsushima. I, I will describe this game in one hundred percent perfect clarity, inarguable. Perfect. Are you okay. ready? Yes, okay. I can't wait. If Ubisoft ever made the Assassin's Creed samurai game set in this era in Japan, it would be 100% this game, note for note, beat for beat. No. It's 100% that a game, exactly. It is exactly the game they would make. I would say, uh, but it would look a lot nicer, and <laughs> it would have more going on. I, I and, oh no, no, and that's no. that's hey, not on, that's not on, fair to Ghost of Tsushima in in certain ways because there are, there are certainly moments where it looks good. Um, but Ubisoft, uh, the difference between this and the Ubisoft game is Ubisoft is consistency, right? Like every sip of Coca Cola tastes the same, and when you when you dive into an Assassin's Creed game. Minute for minute, you're getting some real good seven out of ten, and I I love it. Like that's not a, a diss. <laughs> I I live like a diss. for for diving into an Assassin's Creed game where I just know never going to get better, but never going to get worse. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima is very much the opposite, where it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it, you, sometimes you're eating the middle of the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and sometimes you are eating the crust. But that is fair. Okay, you know what? I'm I'm sorry. I, I I probably overstated the the similarities, but it is a very. While I was playing it, I was thinking like this is exactly what you would make that game because the central, the central emotional conflict of Ghost of Tsushima, especially early on. Um, very brief overview. Uh, Mongols are attacking Japan. They kidnap your uncle. You want to rescue your uncle and defend your home from the, the the Mongol army, the invading Mongols. The central like sort of conflict in this game, especially early on, is whether or not it is appropriate for a samurai to adopt stealth assassination techniques as an ends to a goal. And I think we can all agree that is a moral country that we can all relate to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know it's applicable to my life. Uh, the different, it's not about the murder where interestingly, it would be like if the last of us was constantly preoccupied, like LA just kept weighing the, the toll that making sweet ass headshots had taken on her soul and not the choking or the stabbing, but sweet headshots. Mm -hmm. Is it worth it to me? Mm -hmm. um, but that is the central conflict. To make the comparison, it would be that Ellie had no problem with running in and stabbing a person in the face. But if she right. shot someone from very far away, she would feel very, very guilty about yes. this. The, 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 it, it, the game really does like lean on that so hard to the point where like you have, in, in this attempt to rescue your uncle, you um, enroll like a team of other sort of you know legendary warriors or whatever, uh, each of whom have sort of opposing views on this exact subject of uh, you know fighting with honor versus fighting you know for survival, and 
I, I, I was playing yesterday. I'm, I'm about, uh, well, I, I won't get into spoilers of where I'm at in the game, but I did a stealth assassination, jumped off a roof, and time stopped as I like buried my knife in this dude and it showed me a flashback to my uncle like, you must fight with honor. Uh, and it was so fucking wild. And it, it really kind of does an interesting thing where, you know, in, in, in Last of Us and a lot of games like this, um, you treat stealth as like the thing you're supposed to do until you get caught and now it's time to fight. Uh-huh. And this game is almost like, disincentivizing that a bit because it's almost like making you think like oh but it's better if you just fucking run on in there and start slicing and dicing and fight with honor i don't know if i read the story right but i read it as uh similar to a red faction guerrilla where it's like actually just pro indoctrination of guerrilla warfare where it's like yes uh your honor is a great thing to have uh except for you'll be dead and it will be useless like the the, yeah. the message of the story is like honor schmoner. If you want if you want success, you're gonna have to start you know sniping some headshots. Yeah, I think the character himself might feel guilty, but I don't think they intended for the player to feel guilty using these tactics. And I think the idea is I haven't finished the game yet, but I think the idea is that over time he sort of realizes that there's a greater good concept at hand here. Did yeah. you say character? Is there a character in this game? I must have missed that. Hey, I, maybe that's, not, that's not the, fair. The, the side no, characters no, no, in this game are are interesting. The main character is just... I feel the bit. exact opposite. Yeah? I feel yeah? like the main character is interesting because you see kind of different facets with him when he's talking to his uncle. He's very, like, sewed up. But then when he's talking to his, his road dog with the straw hats, like, you see him loosen up a little bit. I like that shit. I wanted to point out one last thing I about this. I think it's because he's a cipher that just does whatever he is needed to do in a scene. He has no actual core character. It's just whatever he needs to be in the moment. There's a mechanical thing with this like division between fighting with honor versus fighting with stealth that I think is kind of interesting. And it's a mechanic that I couldn't really wrap my mind around. Like This game has a fucking lot of mechanics. Like It has a mm-hmm. lot of shit that you can do. And one of those things that you learn about early on is called the standoff. Yes. So whenever you approach like a group of enemies or a fort or whatever, you can sneak in and jump up, you know, over the wall, grappling hook onto a roof, jump down, chain a bunch of assassinations together. Or in following this like Griffin made that seem more fun than it is. Go ahead. <laughs> uh in following this like idea of, you know, fighting with honor, like you can just roll up, kick open the door and say, like, hey, come out and fight me. And like then it like flashes to almost like a Red Dead Redemption style duel thing, although mm-hmm. it is much, much easier than that. You hold in the triangle button until you see them move and then you let it go and you kill them instantly and you get resolve, which is like the energy that you spend on healing and other things. Uh, and you can like upgrade that. There's a lot of upgrades and stuff so that you can like chain those standoffs together. I thought that I don't think that works as a mechanic. I think it's kind of goofy as shit, but I also think it's kind of interesting to have like, what is essentially for the first time that I can think of in a game, like the opposite of the stealth sneak in and murder that that has been in literally every open world game has that, but no open world game I can think of has the anti stealth of like, Hey, come fight me idiots. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that for me is this game in a nutshell. I I, want to be clear to everybody. I think we're uh, not as warm on this. There are a lot of people who love this game. It is dopamine hit the video game. If sure. if you're just looking for a thing that is going to let you collect items in a big, relatively attractive open world, hey, it exists. It is it is this game. You don't need to, to worry about the criticism. I have warmed on it. 
Yeah, I have to. FYI, uh, okay. Let me talk a little bit about where where I how how I came to that point and and as we go through that if if there are places that resonate with you all or, or you disagree let me know. Sucker Punch, all the infamous games were and Sly Cooper to a certain extent were very much about fluidity. They were about uh, making movement fun. Mm-hmm. Movement's very fun and that you ride on like in the infamous games you frequently like ride on power lines and grind on the side of buildings and like uh, super duper jumps and everything. It made made locomotion fun. Um, in this game, you have a horse. And the uh, uh, for me, although I enjoyed the combat, I found getting around the world con- like an absolute momentum killer. Yeah. And it's very, very common that at the beginning of a mission, you go to where the mission has to be, and then the mission person's like, follow me on your horse for five minutes. Like that Red Dead Redemption thing of like, let me show you where the mission is. Come on this way. Let's ride with me. Or even worse, like a weird, inexplicable, and nearly constant, like detective mode of just like, oh, there's tracks in the ground. Let's follow those. Oh, there's blood on the ground. Let's follow those. In a way that is like so repetitive and not challenging weirdly at all. That's a lot of things in the open world, which was my other big problem with this. Like, very, uh, uh, again, the combat is cool, and I'd like to spend a little time drilling down on it, but. Almost every activity you undertake in the open world, there's like, you find a fox den and you can follow the fox to a thing that lets you equip new charms on your weapons. There's hot springs you can find and bathe in to increase your health. There's like, you come upon um, shrines to climb on and you can get, you know, bonuses from those, whatever. There's a fucking dope Um, bamboo cutting game. I love the bamboo. (laughs) It's literally, oh man. It's a wild, like, press these buttons on, it, these pieces of bamboo show up, and they have literal ass dual shock button prompts, like, on them, and you have to press them very, very quickly. It is so, like, PS2 era, like, God of War minigame, but I also, like, A lot of them are very dull. I mean, it. the things in the open world are not fun, and, like, not, it was, we're not encouraging me to keep going. And there's, like, just the pacing of the thing is, like, it, feel, it felt glacial to me. Yeah. Especially, like, story scenes you can't skip anything like you have to sit and listen to every word well that was Um, the that was the issue that i had specifically with the open world like you're exploring the open world and i was kind of digging on like hey there's a little bird i'm gonna follow this bird i'll find something and i was fine anytime there was a moment where i could like talk to someone i was like hesitant because none of those cutscenes are skippable and they tend to be very dry and wooden some of them are good but most of them are like Hey, we need medicine for this character. I'm going to go get medicine for you. Okay, I've brought some medicine. None of that can be skipped. And honestly, the thing that clicked for me was like, I'm going to play this like crackdown in Japan and just like explore the world and like cause havoc. But you can't play that way because the game constantly throttles your pace to these cutscenes, mm. to these moments. When you find a hot spring, you need to stare at a butt for like 30 seconds. Love There's it. no way around staring at that butt. <laughs> There's a there's a haiku composing thing. We have to sit and t- think about what you're going to reflect on. You press the right buttons to decide what it's you're cute. going to write your haiku about. It's like artsy. It's, it's adorable. But it's, um, it's not f- super fun. Can, sorry, can we, can, we, can we pause for just a second? Because I think this is relevant to what you're talking about, Justin. Uh, the, the most damning bit of this pacing issue is the very beginning, which I, I say this is a word of warning for people who I do think will enjoy this game quite a bit more. The first hour and a half of this game is... One of the worst intros I've played this generation, maybe last generation. It is wild, like how how much of a mess it is. It, it's effectively three different intros in a row. You get like an action sequence 
intro where it's like that thing where it's like we just throw you into the spectacle and you hit buttons and like you'll kind of instinctively learn how to play you're like okay i did it but then it like stops and it goes okay now we're gonna do the in fiction intro where we like time warp and a character literally explains how to do the exact same stuff all over again and we're gonna have button prompts on screen and you're like okay i I already did this but sure and then it throws you back into the action, and then it's like, okay, just to make sure, now we're going to do that old school, like, PS1 style intro where you're going to be moving through the world, and then the action will freeze, and giant button prompts will come <laughs> on screen, and you'll learn how to do it. And at that point, I was like, this is maddening. And and also, this opening just looks really bad. Like, there's there's a sequence where you're, like, run- chasing or running through... Um, I don't even know what to call it. It's supposed to be, I guess, a valley between, between two, like, kind of craggy hills... And it looks like God of War 2. I mean, it, it is... Everything about it felt like... And, and, and I would say this with a lot of the issues in the game. Felt like, man, this game needed another year. Like, I, did they really feel like they had to get this out on PS4 before PS5 came out? And I hate to speculate like that. But there are so many times where you'll have something that's really thoughtful. Like, um, to find out which direction you should be going, you uh, tap the touchpad... And the wind like gusts in the direction that you need to go. It's like, wow, that's that's a really interesting idea. And then the next moment, literally, it looks like it's the um, the icon that is just comes pre-installed on the PS4 of the X button appears uh, giant on the screen. <laughs> to it, so it's like you know to hit the X button, and it doesn't look like it's in fiction whatsoever. And it's like yeah. that. It, it, it's so small. That's not going to ruin anybody's gaming experience, but. It's certainly jarring. I don't know if it's more time in development or if it's just the, a, an editor. Like, to me, it yeah. feels like if resources have been... if And this is what I... Again, we are absolutely talking our asses, but it feels like with this long in development, it feels like maybe they were going in some different directions and then just got to a point where it's like, let's close this off and, like, just we have to finish it. Because there's a lot of different elements where, like, I, why did you spend time on this and not time on this other thing? Mm. Like condense all this into like a really good package rather than expansive the the voice acting is a perfect example of that so how do you mean so no no the voice acting itself is great but so there's an english track and a japanese language track they they mapped the animation on the characters to the english language track right so if you if you listen to it in japanese it does not line up with their the way their mouths move um, it looks very strange. Then they added a thing called Kurosawa mode that was supposed to be this big thing, you know, respecting the films of Kurosawa. And they're like, well, you know, it forces the Japanese language track and it has this custom um, black and white filter and the the sound is really tinny and stereo. So it sounds old fashioned. You put it on and the voices don't line up and it's like immediate. You're like, well, this feels way off. Like this does not feel good. And the 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 whole thing that I kept thinking was like, why wasn't it not done the other way around? Why was it not? Why was the the uh, facial animation not mapped to the Japanese language track? That that would have made this so much easier. Yeah, man, subs not dubs. Go off, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I there there's another little mo like it's there's little stuff like this, but they really do add up. For me, the one that stood out to me was there's this mission where it's a stealth mission where a bunch of Mongols are gonna um, attack your village or the village that you're in. And you have to light the, you have to put incense into these burners and you're going to light the incense with fire arrows and it'll make smoke. And then you'll use that to assassinate. 
you have to put incense in six burners and you run up to a burner and press the button and then I didn't notice it until the third one I did but it goes to like the shortest blackout ever and then you walk away from the incense burner and it was like again 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 they don't have an animation for putting incense into burner so instead yeah <laughs> there's a black a literal blackout where you're like well I guess he put incense in the burner you didn't show it and it's like why that yeah so it, it feels- of all the things like there's so much in this game like so many missions and side paths and storylines and stuff like it could it just felt like the sense that it could have been condensed and sped up in a way that would have been very very satisfying and addictive uh was was really hard for me to escape but what i will say is that the more time i spent with it the more the, the things that really really work about this game really really got their claws into me there are some moments that it builds to helped by an absolutely exceptional score oh fuck uh, yeah yeah that build to like really exciting tons of things on the screen climactic fights um the big moments like really really land it's helped by the fact that the combat uh specifically the sword play is really cool there are four different stances that you switch to on the fly one deals with people with shields one with spears one is for swordsmen and you're like swapping stances like as you're fighting people and it feels very good to always have this like set of skills that's perfectly matched to the person that you're fighting it's like that's the kind of like fluidity and speed and fun that i wish was like elsewhere in the game Mm -hmm. represented in the combat because i always look forward to it but between those two things and when i sort of set my expectations it, it started to like I got into a groove with it where like I saw definitely where it could be much more, but I I still want to keep playing it. Yeah. I mean, the thing that stood out to me uh, was the, I think it does like pic- picturesque horizons, like specific, like there are moments where you like open into a field and it's, there's like falling orange leaves and it's fucking gorgeous. And there's like a very intricate photo mode, which I think they nail. And that's really the thing, like the stuff that feels lacking feels like triage stuff where it's like we know this is not right but at this point we really just need to like get the game out with you know and so like the thing that jumped out to me was like um there's a bamboo forest like very close to the beginning of the game that you essentially have to walk through to get to one of the early missions and you it's like bamboo like trees in the forest and you can clip through Every no single tree. There's geometry. no tree. Yeah. You just literally walk through them like they are ghost trees. And and they definitely knew it was there. Like I guarantee they have a QA team that definitely saw that that was there. But at a certain point, they were like, well, are we going to animate around these trees or do we have to come up with a solve that's like, okay, we're just going to have people just walk through them and it is what it is. We need to get this game out. And that's consistently what like it sort of rings true throughout this. Like there are a number of instances where it's like, well, we could have people skip cutscenes, but that's going to mess maybe our loading times or whatever. We can't do that. So everyone has uh, little buggy things throughout yes. there. I think we all experienced weird. I had two different times where a um, 
person I was supposed to talk to fail, like got locked in some situation that they weren't supposed to be in. And I had to basically like whack them with the side of my katana until uh, they're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go over there and sit by the fire and come talk to me there. I've had the game for two weeks now. And this morning I booted it up to like check on something before we talked about the game. And it started downloading uh, update 1.04. It's fourth update since I've had the game for the last two weeks. So like I get the sense that they are very quickly trying to like fix a lot of these things, but they have... I think a long road to hoe. Uh, in, oh, in talk order. about the tent, Griff. The tent. Oh, yeah, oh. <laughs> it, uh, it's a hot pro tip. I don't know if they fixed this. There's certain things like uh, half the time, if I was on a horse and ran into a group of enemies, they would not. They would like alert and like start a fight with me, but not take swings at me. So I could just like <laughs> sit on my horse and like shoot them all in the head methodically with a bow and arrow while they didn't move, which was cool. That hasn't happened anymore. I don't know if they fixed this thing though, which is tents break your line of sight and enemies instantly forget you're there so i could run into a big group of enemies and stealth assassinate one and then run into this tent and then either they would forget i was there and i could just like pop out of the tent and keep killing people that way or they would forget i was there and walk into the tent and i could just build a little boy pile right there in the middle of the tent um that that i don't know i am um that's kind of a stealth game problem i i feel like people have done that in hitman too uh no i mean the instant oh, you yeah. go into the tent, you were never there, yeah. and they're still on the edge, and you can see them through the walls. Yeah. P.S. Uh, so it's like I'll just kill that guy through the tent flat, no big deal. Over and over and over again. My my uh, my bigger thing, I think you guys have all highlighted like a lot of the issues with this game. Uh, I am I was starting to lean towards Justin's side. I think it is a pleasant enough game to play. I found myself like getting into you know following the birds to find the hot spring or the incredible bamboo cutting mini game uh <laughs> uh my bigger issue is that it, it the, there is too much from a progression standpoint to a point where it dilutes the satisfaction of any of it uh, hmm. And to, to make the comparison, again, Infamous 2, uh, Justin mentioned the locomotion stuff. Every power you unlock in Infamous was like added to the fun or added to your ability to do something. Like uh, it wasn't just most of the time, at least it wasn't like, oh, my main spark shooting power just got stronger. It was like now I can jump in the air and shoot lightning out of my you hands become to a boost God. and fly. Mm-hmm. Right. But each yeah. step you take feels good. Right. Yeah. yeah. This game falls prey to the thing, and I pray to God that it is not like maybe it's a, a, a an idea that developers can move past in the next generation or whatever. This idea of I'm going to go around and pick up supplies off of every dead body I find, and if I find 500 of them, yeah. then my sword, uh, 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 you know, uh, damage meter is going to go from this big to this big, and it's like I don't know what the fuck that means. I don't know what that like. Yes, okay, it means my sword has gotten stronger, but like that doesn't you have contextualized that not at all for for the listener uh griffin uh raised his thumb and index finger and it was <laughs> yes. a small amount and then it went to a slightly larger amount it, it's it, but that's like everything right you have these different ghost items that you can upgrade you can upgrade uh the different armor that you can equip in the game you can do all these things and some of the armor upgrades are like i ended up wearing the starting armor mm-hmm. that you get because it helps you uncover the map easier and it's like yeah. now you'll uncover the map 50 percent easier it's like okay i understand what that means but like I, it, you have to grind out. Sorry, like a lot of these resources to upgrade the things that you want to upgrade. <laughs> I just like looked at what would be required for the next sword upgrade and saw the few centimeters of damage yeah. meter increase, and I was like, I don't know what that means. So like, 
picking up supplies feels so empty and meaningless. But then like extrapolate that to like the first time I found all those hot springs. It's like your health increased by a fucking pixel. And it's like, (laughs) I don't know what, like, is that? And the picking up of, the picking up of, of items is like, it's absolute. There's so much and it's infuriating because I mean, I spent what was probably like two hours of picking up supplies in the game, not seeking them out, but just like the supplies, which is, basically money that i picked up in two hours of the game i spent upgrading my uh armor and then immediately got a different set of armor yeah. that i wish i had upgraded instead and, and i'm just like well i guess i'm just out of luck i guess and it's not fun none of the picking up stuff like none of that is is enjoyable or pleasurable. i'm not saying you can't do that in a game right like that's the the basis of like most progression based games right but don't give me fucking like a thousand levels of sword upgrade right because like that makes each yeah. one feel less thing just like give me one or two and like have it mean something and that's like the my big problem sort of condensed with this game is that like instead of giving you a a, a handful of polished satisfying feeling things it it throws like everything in the kitchen sink yeah. at you and like none of it it just is it feels so diluted I'll, I'll go one step further than that and and i think the issue that i had with this game is like that this game needed to exist and and by what the, by that what i mean is i think we've reached the end of this generation and triple a games have become so comically bloated especially the triple a exclusive that this feels like a game heavily influenced by bushido blade it is a game that one it, it knew it wanted to reference Kurosawa. It knew it wanted Blades to actually be like immediately lethal and dangerous. Um, and it knew it wanted to tell the story of like, you know, honorable fighting versus dishonorable, but you know, successful fighting. And all of those ideas work better in Bushido Blade because Bushido Blade is a one-on-one fighting game where a a a fight can be all these shifting between uh, stances before you even take a single stab, and then that one stab can be lethal, and then it's meaningful because it's one death. All of those ideas work really well in a fighting game. Those ideas do not inherently work well in yet another open-world game where you go around just slaughtering as many people, collecting as many things as possible. And I think the problem that we're running into right now, especially with Sony games, is it's the it's the same problem that we've talked about before of one size fits all we're going to make this type of game and even though we know we want to tell this sort of a story and have uh, accomplished these sorts of ideas we're still stuck forcing it onto the big open world AAA game and the, yeah. the positive i'll say like the, what i'm looking forward to here is i think microsoft is in weirdly a good position with the next generation and how they're approaching things with game pass which is you know what we're not going to make four or five hundred million two hundred million dollar uh, games uh, over and over and over again. We're actually going to get twenty or thirty studios, and we're going to let them do ideas that you know normally would be done by a indie team for like a couple million, and we're going to give them sizable quote AAA budgets. So you're going to get a nicer version of of these smaller ideas. We're not going to force every game to be so high stakes. Um, yeah. And there's like, if this feels like the end of a generation, it, it certainly like captures that. It 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 captures the intention of this particular generation, which just got so out of control with the expectations of what a AAA game needed to be. Um, let's uh, let's take a break, and uh, we'll come right back with some more discussion of video games. You go get a phone. You just want a phone to talk to your friends and family. You're not asking so much. Then you get these contracts. 
and you get ripped off because you got all this fine print little details and all of a sudden they're sucking money out of your pocket like some sort of digital leech you know the contract may sound good uh, up front but there's always some sort of catch you know who's not going to do that to you not going to pull that nonsense mint mobile their wireless plans there is no catch $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan mint mobile's secret sauce is that they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly on to you you want to pay hundreds of dollars for like literal hundreds of dollars for your wireless plan or you want to have a nice easy solution save some put the bucks back in your pocket pay 15 bucks a month say bye to your overpriced wireless plans jaw-dropping monthly bills the unexpected overages sound familiar to get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash besties. That's mintmobile.com slash besties. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash besties. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode of The Besties is sponsored by Aura Frames. All right, so you know there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind. Those are the sorts of people that you would say, oh, maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that. That is where Aura Frames comes in. It's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up. You just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi. And once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos, you can do whatever you want, and it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old. I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old. And they both love their aura frames and they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track, especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want, get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself on multiple different monthly payments I have and it's worked, which is incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So, cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties. That's rocketmoney.com slash besties. Rocketmoney.com slash besties. We uh, we let we ran long for the last couple in our uh, discussions of Last of Us and Plant. You you salvaged some of that communique on that one, um, uh, and and thought it would be some good discussion fodder. Yeah, I think the two things that we got a lot of comments on were the things that happened, I guess, behind the scenes uh, at at Naughty Dog while making the game. Uh, the first one is from Stephanie. Uh, what is your opinion on the increasing queer representation in The Last of Us 2 and video games coming out? I have a now former friend that is very upset about the amount of queer representation in the game. Apparently, there is only one trans person allowed in one group of people. Uh, so we actually, after the last episode, shared um, some links from people who uh, we think are far better equipped to tackle this topic. But I, what I can say from my experience of it is... Lev is the is a trans character in the game. I, I believe the only one, um, and I think it's handled fine. Like I I I, th- I think the the best pieces that I've read uh, about representation in Last of Us is that we are seeing um, that one game doesn't have to be everything for everybody. That yeah. there are people who really dislike how Lev is handled. They dislike um, the fact that uh, it the game focuses on a queer relationship that those women are ultimately just brutalized um and there are people who think the representation in any form is exceptional and that like this is the beginning of a change that should have been happening in in mainstream games a lot longer it has been happening in indie games way 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 longer way long, um, yeah. so, way so it certainly longer. is not new to video games so yeah i i, I do, do y'all have any other thoughts on that i I, I uh, adored Lev as a character, and I also th- found it, like, uh, I, I felt like, okay, the, the bar for, like, a, uh, a a trans character in a video game, like, a major AAA character in a video game, uh, in my mind, is, uh, the low end of the bar, I mean, is Mass Effect Andromeda, where it's, like, uh, I forget the, who the character was or what the context was, but I, I remember saying there was a character who literally is just like, hello, I am trans. And it's like, mm-hmm. yo, that's not it. Uh, and I think that they, you know, they, they, Naughty Dog does a better job than that with Lev, but like this is a game about suffering and about brutality and it is very difficult, you know, to hear a trans character be uh, dead named uh, by the people who want to kill him, uh, which is not great. But the, the bigger the bigger issue that I found kind of like, I don't know, again, I liked Lev as a character, but uh, the whole arc for Lev is about how people want to kill him because he is trans and like you don't you you get a little bit more the 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 scenes where you like hear Lev talking about his faith and how like it helps him overcome fear and like that stuff's really really cool but like it's kind of hard to argue against the fact that like the bulk of Lev's character and the things that you know about Lev's character are the fact that he is trans and people want to kill him for it and like that's that is not like I don't know I, I I fully fully understand why it is not like uh, you know, universally well well received. I'm I'm also kind of conflicted about it, but I am a you know 
cis het straight white dudes so no i i'd agree with that assessment i think i think they tried to do a lot of things in that game and um it is very difficult not impossible they certainly might have been able to pull it off but it's very difficult to treat every single thing with the utmost level of respect that it deserves and i think i could sense them really earnestly trying and whether they nailed it 100 percent, maybe not but i could tell that they were earnestly trying uh the next question uh, and i apologize if i get this name uh incorrect Auden wrote, uh, Hi, any thoughts on the choice not to talk about Naughty Dog's bad case of crunch in respects to uh, The Last of Us 2 on the Besties pod? Love the show, but felt that there was uh, lots of praise for attention to every minute detail, but no reflection on what human cost lay behind. I'm glad we did, someone asked this question. I think it's like a, it applies to not just Last of Us 2, but literally every video game that is made within this industry right now. And not all of them are made under crunch situations, but certainly triple, a lot of AAA games, if not the majority, are. I kind of alluded to it. I remember in the first episode of The Last of Us 2 episode where I was talking about a very intricate, like somebody was gut shot scene that like lasts for like 45 seconds and someone clearly spent a good chunk of a year making sure that scene was like the most viscerally horrible possible thing. Um, And that's fine. Uh, I understand that level of effort, but I do think, and the issue we've talked about repeatedly about Last of Us, there's there's a scale and a length issue here where so much time and effort and man hours, like literal time, was spent making this giant, giant game that kind of just didn't need to be quite so giant, giant. And I think there is an element to which studios need to be more mindful of the human cost. And the trade-off of that might be they can't put 60 hours on the box. That might be the trade-off. Yeah, Um, and that gets the thing that we were just saying with Tsushima is like, this might actually lead to more games that actually hit whatever the intentions of the developer are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if if developers are um, given a marketplace or a system in which they are rewarded for making games that are smaller, then we won't see games that are little. I mean, part of the popularity of the open world genre is it just allows for more hours. That mm-hmm. that it's a huge upfront investment that allows for gobs of dlc or, or other things that that pay off that investment um so yeah I, i'm hoping that we see that shift i don't necessarily think though that that has a place in a critical discussion of a of a game like i don't think that you are going I, at least if it was up to me purely i probably still wouldn't want to factor that into the the discussion of the success or failures of uh, a game uh, in the context of like a podcast like ours. I think it's worth adding the, as a background context, like I don't think every time we talk about a game, we need to speculate what the work hours were like for the people that made that game because Justin, you're right. Like we're, you know, we're looking at the final product. That's the goal. But I do think when you think about, uh, well, lo- let's look at Hollywood for a second. Hollywood has similarly insane hours. Like the hours that they work when they're filming a movie or a TV show or whatever are comically insane, but... They have protections in place to ensure that the people working those hours are being paid for that extra time and effort. So I think there is it's worth people listening that there is there are ways, there are methods to grow this industry in a healthy way that aren't exclusively, well, just work people until they're completely destroyed. Yeah. For clarity's sake, I'm in no way agreeing. No, I know. I mean, like, yeah. obviously there's huge ethical problems with the way video games are made. I'm just saying, like, we wouldn't bring it up in a critical discussion because it, it gets into this weird thing of like, well, 
if maybe if we just talked about our complaints with Ghost of Tsushima, right? Maybe if they had crunched, they would have been fixed. And it's like you can't it can't factor that into the discussion because everything becomes us weighing the value of the work invested in the game versus mm-hmm. the quality of the final product. And we have zero. I mean, we have less than than. Uh, you know, very minute amount of insight. I, I think I think it's important, especially in very public cases around huge games, just to provide the context without say, again yes. without it influencing the criticism. The point where I, I do think that context is necessary and eventually can impact the criticism is right now Ubisoft is on fire um, because of uh, multiple just hit allegations after hit after hit of oh. yeah, <laughs> the, multiple allegations of, of uh, sexual harassment and uh, it sounds like discrimination in the workplace. I, I I mean, it's hard almost to follow because so many allegations are coming out so quickly. And you compare that to their games, which every game is about, you know, the progressive cause that mm. is, you know, down with the man and the evil empire. Yeah. And it, it's very hard not to, if I, if we were talking about a watchdogs right now, to not factor that into the criticism because there there is an inherent friction between the problems in that workplace and the stories that they choose to tell and and really what that publisher chooses to make money off of right the causes that it is profiteering off of are in direct conflict with the way it appears to be running its business um and that that's a bigger thing but again like that that is not every game that is a very unique uh scenario anyway i i, I want to make sure that we keep moving um this is from ben uh and millie ben wrote uh does a game have to innovate to be good obviously we're talking about ghost of tsushima now and millie wrote uh reviews seem to say the game is typical open world formula and doesn't invent anything much new about it would love to hear the best your thoughts on if there's enough value in doing a known thing well for a triple a game to stand out or should they be expected to break the mold Obviously, a game does not have to innovate to be good, right? Like, I think uh, there are certain genres where that is more applicable than than not, like uh, platformers, uh, fighting games. Like, there are certain there are certain genres in my mind where, like, if you nail the feel of it in a way that is like incredibly satisfying, and there's like meat on that bone still, then I think it's okay just to like make an incredibly competent, like satisfying version of that game. I just think that's hard as hell to do with the open world game or really any game that like asks you to invest a bunch of time into it, right? Like I think a games as service game absolutely has to innovate in order for me to play it like because that is that is an enormous sort of uh time investment. Uh I think the problem with Ghost of Tsushima isn't that it doesn't innovate, it's that like it doesn't necess- it doesn't like uh, do the things that Assassin's Creed has done better than, mm-hmm. or really as well as a lot of the Assassin's Creed games. The problem with Ghost of Tsushima is not the lack of innovation, it's the lack of refinement. If, if Ghost of Tsushima had refined, I think that it would be a much different discussion, but it, it feels like a lot of the rough edges yeah. uh, that other ga- even other games before them have figured out. The, the good comparison there is... Um, uh, Oh my gosh! Uh, the the robot dinosaurs. Uh, Horizon Horizon Zero Dawn. Zero Dawn. That mm-hmm. that to me is the perfect example of a game that I don't think innovated much at all, but refined the hell out of the genre. Uh, that is a you could even argue that game. Uh, Breath of the Wild, right? Like Breath oh. of the Wild was like uh, an oh I I. The reason that I have strong feelings about this is like I don't like open world games anymore, which is why like my adoration of Breath of the Wild is kind of mystifying because like I don't think it adds 
a lot to the genre. It just does it all incredibly, incredibly well. Uh, and and that is why it like stands the test of time. I think it is a dramatic innovation for the open world genre, specifically Breath of the Wild, just because if you think about like, hey, you can climb any wall. Hey, you can use physics to do anything you want. Like those are two major gameplay yeah. things. I do think there are examples though of a game that I think, yeah, I think Dishonored won one year for uh, our game of the year. And uh, that is an example of a game like there had been thief games before. There had been plenty of stealth games before. That is like a perfect, perfect refinement of a genre. Um, and um, so, yes, I think you can absolutely succeed without necessarily reinventing reinventing the wheel. Y'all, we have at least one more game that we need to talk about. And it is called Desperados 3. And Fresh Chick and I are in love with it. <laughs> Everybody needs to play this Dang. game. Fresh, tell the people how Desperados 3 works. Okay, so Desperados 3 is, uh, for the old people listening, uh, there was a series called Commandos on the PC <laughs> that was basically like an isometric stealth game where you command it, you controlled like a squad of three or four guys, and you'd sneak in and kill a bunch of Nazis, and it was very satisfying. Um, Desperados 3 is made with that very much same idea in mind. Um, the idea is you're up against this massive, overwhelming force, let's say 60 guys, and you've got three guys against them, but you're given so much knowledge about the scene of where everyone's looking with vision cones and all the different abilities you have that you can easily like make, well, not easily, it's a challenging game, but you could basically work your way through a very large scene filled with enemies and methodically pick one and uh, each one off to accomplish your mission. It's just kind of this very... Uh, yeah, methodical, like planned out, thoughtful game that looks like a strategy game, but is really, I don't know, it's something else. Yeah, and it takes something that I hate called save scumming and makes it a core part of the game and yeah. somehow fun. And save scumming is where uh, in, in challenging games, like stealth games, you would, you know, pause the game, hit save every, you know, few seconds. And then if you died, you would have to load it and, and wait for the load. This game knows that you're going to do that. So it effectively has you hotkey both the save and loading. And when you hit load, it is instantaneous. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, I mean, the way I did is I mapped both to my mouse. And before I did pretty much anything, I was just pop and save. And then if I got annoyed by something, I would hit load and I would flash back. And it it felt, it didn't feel like I was um, cheating. It didn't feel like I was like, you know, using the system's menu to like have an unfair advantage. It felt like I was playing almost like a time warp game. Yeah. It, like, I mean, mm. they could have... If, uh, Prince of Persia. Yeah. Kind of like that, almost that vibe as a tactics game instead of a platform. Yeah, yeah. Justin, I know I know that you played it and, and, and it wasn't quite clicking with you. So I wanted to make sure that we got to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think that it's just um, uh, a lot of times I didn't have a good idea of how to approach a situation. Um, I also, I mean, I basically was on like the second level where you're going around with the dude, the, the friend of yours who, who has three people he wants to kill before he can leave mm -hmm. this town, you know yep. what I'm talking about? Yeah. And there was one that was like in a, uh, den of iniquity that I had to break into and kill a woman who had wronged my friend. Um, and it was just really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and like the, it was very specific. And I think I was kind of also kind of irritated by the fact that like timing is a bigger part of it than I'm used to with tactics games, like knowing the right windows to like make your mm -hmm. move. Um, I, I also started playing on a laptop, which was not the right 
feel like you need i feel like you really it looks like a game that should look work with a laptop but you really need the mouse that that level of fidelity i've enjoyed it more since i switched um i don't know i'll keep plugging away at it i just i felt like the save scumming to me was like i had so little of an idea of how to approach each encounter like uh that i was completely relying on the save scumming as almost like trial and error and i think i just wanted a little bit more feeling of like self-determination there are a few moments and that one was one for me too that 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 sequence that you spoke about that it effectively feels like it it keeps throwing you in the deep end of like okay you just have to figure out how this works to move forward Mm -hmm. and once i got past those hurdles i felt like a ninja like i i felt like i could just do the impossible in the game and and i ran into those a few other times where i was just like this is impossible there's no way to do this and then i would really like another point that came up is there is a a big town that you're in and you get to the um very end it's not even a train it's like a train station with a giant bridge and the map is just huge and i got through all of it and at the very end i had to get on board this train but the court like the trade loading area had i don't know like 15 people on it it's like how do i possibly pull this off without triggering an alarm and getting killed and i i realized like oh i i don't stealth this like i'm going to create a, a a perfect little um second of just mayhem where everything's going to happen all at once everybody i'm going to you can pause there's a like a pause mode where you can set everybody to do everything exactly as you need it and like okay i'm going to use this character who can be in public to lure some people over to this spot i'm going to use this character to throw a coin which pulls some of them also into a cone that is perfect i'm going to use this character to set a trap and then i'm going to have the guy who has the shotgun go out and just literally like mow down 15 people all at once and then I did it, and it felt like I it felt like I was the smartest human on the planet. One other thing that I was kind of struggling with is um, when you trigger an alarm, do you all consider that a fail state, uh, or I, do you just kind of keep reload? Trucking? You can yeah. keep playing, but I almost always reload. Okay, that's what it, it feels like. It wants you yeah. to do that, but uh, I wasn't. It doesn't sure. end the game like more guards show up effectively. But yeah, I think the game is sort of encouraging you. There's even a timer on the screen that's like, "It's been a minute since you've saved. Save your shit." Uh, which really tells you that that's what the developers want you to be doing. Griffin, you have a game that you want to tell us about. Wait, oh, just yes. one last thing. The last De- Desperados game uh, came out in 2007. It was called Hell Dorado. <laughs> that's pretty good. Didn't want, to, <laughs> didn't want to let that go. I uh, two quick sh- Hell Dorado. You've powerful. missed the point. Uh, two quick shout outs. Uh, Crosscode just came out on consoles. Yes. Russ and I were talking about it. I really want to play that game. I've been interested in it for a while. It's like a action RPG about this uh, Im- like fictional MMO that takes place on a moon somewhere. So it has like a physical. Com- it's like a fucking rad idea for a game, but the Switch port is like really sluggish and doesn't feel very good. Uh, which apparently they're trying to patch. Uh, there's some comparisons with uh, Blood stain there that like you know that game also ran like shit but i also love uh and also soda dungeon 2 just dropped on the on the oh. iphone yeah bud oh my god yeah, there he goes podcast over uh so i've i've started to dip into that and it's good i want to talk about and i've tricked you guys because i wrote ruinous effigy uh, oh, here no. in the rundown i know what that uh, means that's a destiny 2 thing destiny 2 is popping the fuck off right now because they are doing a bunch of dumb shit with it and like 
sort of like not being precious about it at all. And that is evidenced by this new exotic they just added called Ruinous Effigy that I'm not joking has completely reinvented the game. It's a laser beam that dissolves enemies and turns them into little balls that you can then pick up and use it as a shield or bash enemies with it or just fucking slam dunk it into the ground to blow up everything nearby. And that one thing has been enough to revitalize the entire Destiny community. (laughs) Every time I get on to like do my chores to like get my power level up or whatever, like, oh, I'm going to run a dungeon. Everybody's using this fucking laser and it's just like everything I do in the game now is just a big match of slam ball. (laughs) And it is so fucking funny and fun and uh, doesn't feel like Destiny necessarily, but it is like a complete blast. Um, Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I like Destiny. Destiny 2 is real good right now. Uh, Y'all, next week we will be talking about Paper Mario, the Origami King. I hope you join us for that. After that, we will have something special. Uh, oh boy, wait till you hear about I mean, it. I know about it, and it's a real good. Chris knows about it, and I know about it. No. We all know about it. All four of us know about it, but it's like, whoo, it's really good. Uh, and Justin, do you want to take us home? Uh, yes, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Remember, you can follow and listen for free on Spotify. We ask that you uh, share the show with a friend this week besties.fan is the link where you can find us i want to mention that we are the number three technology podcast on spotify right now quick somebody say something wow. about uh cloud computing so, some new printers are good uh, 3d printer we talked about 3d printers the other day that counts right us usb 2.0 it's coming back baby <laughs> <laughs> okay. how do i plug it in that is going to do it for us this week so but be sure to join us again next time for the besties Because shouldn't the world's best friends pick the world's best games? The Besties is a Spotify original podcast in association with Fox Media. The show is edited by Jelani Carter and produced by Ben Hosley. And our theme song is by Ian Bush. Besties! Besties.